Personally, I've found it quite an exciting time these last few days. Let's face it, we aren't a big church. And 24-7 of prayer, I do think that is an achievement. That is something that I really respect, that everybody stepped forward and that we've had people putting time out, interrupting their routines, over the weekend, no less. And I've found that tremendously exciting that that's happened. Um, so for me, this has been a real time of encouragement. What I would say, though, as we're bringing this sort of period to a close, we're moving to a discussion now on feasting. And I've never actually talked about feasting before. The idea of doing a sermon on feasting, when I was asked to do it, my first reaction was, I have no idea what I'm going to say with that one. This is going to be fun. Um, <laughs> that was my kind of reaction. And the reason we're doing feasting, of course, is because afterwards we will be having a meal together and just spending some time in fellowship, celebrating what's happened over these last few days. Now, as I prepared this sermon, the first thought that went through my head was, maybe what I should do is go to Leviticus 23, as I'm sure that crossed everybody's mind. Um, Leviticus 23, yeah, to explain, Leviticus 23 sets out some of the feasts and festivals of ancient Israel. But there was one big problem. If I wanted to do those justice, then, well, we'd probably be getting to that meal at about 4 o'clock this afternoon. So I decided that probably wasn't a good idea. As I considered, though, I gradually realized that I've heard sermons on the feast before, but I've not actually heard sermons unpacking the theme the pattern that runs through them. And to discuss that, I'm not going to turn to that verse at all. Instead, I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And I'm going to read from the message translation. The message is a paraphrase, really, rather than a translation. And it's a funny one. There's the old saying, when it's good, it's very, very good. When it's bad, it's horrid. When it comes to this passage, I think the message is very, very good. It captures the heart of what Jesus is saying. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that expression. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now that passage introduces two ideas that are actually fundamental to understanding the feasts and the festivals that ancient Israel used to hold. And I think these principles apply to us as a church as well. The first one is rhythm. The ancient world was very different to the society we live in. It was an agricultural society. And that meant that there was an automatic rhythm to the year dictated by the passage of the seasons. You knew exactly what you were going to do at each time of the year because you knew when you needed to plant your crops. You knew when you needed to irrigate them. 
you knew when you needed to do the harvest. There was a rhythm and a routine that spread throughout the year. Now, the reality is there are only two people in this church who have anything remotely resembling the kind of rhythm of the ancient world, Mark and Wendy. The rest of us, we don't have anything like that. And that's actually a problem. Because the human heart, I believe, is made for rhythm. It is healthy for us to have a pattern to our lives. And as we've separated ourselves from the natural world, we've lost that sense of rhythm to the year. And some of us, we try to create new rhythms, probably based on the school holidays, let's be honest. But those feel very artificial and forced, and we don't quite make them work. When we turn to the feasts, the interesting thing about those is that God doesn't, he doesn't say rhythm and routine is bad or anything like that. He uses rhythm and routine to establish a pattern to the year. So he tells them, tells the Israelites, right, at this time, when, when the seasons are in this place, you're going to have a festival, you're going to have a feast, you're going to come together to celebrate and worship. What he's doing as he does that, is he saying, right, all your rhythms, all your routines and your patterns, I want to set these milestones, these markers in place to remind you to orient your life toward me over the course of the year. I want these feasts and festivals to be there all the time, every year, year in, year out. You know, right, I'm getting the harvest in. Here's a festival coming up so that I can come, to, come with my brothers and sisters and meet with God. When we think about our rhythms and routines of life, we don't think about how do we integrate God into these things. We might think, oh, it's summer holiday. I can have a break. Or we might think, Christmas, time with family. All fine parts of our rhythm and routine, what remains of it. But God says, right, I want me to be a part of this. I want you to, in, to create moments in your life when you meet with me. And so as I prepared this sermon, I'm going to put a challenge to the leaders on this one. I think that this time of prayer, fasting, and feasting, I think it should be a beginning of creating a rhythm and a routine in the year of this church where we do this regularly, where this isn't something that we think, right, we've ticked this box, let's move on. But we can say, right, we know this is the time of year we are coming together soon for a time of prayer, a time of fasting, and then a feast. Is it on the agenda? Nope. And I'm glad to hear that it's on there. But I just wanted to put that. And to be honest, Eddie, I'd considered so much whether to make this point. And it was your sermon last week that made the mention of rhythm at the end. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah I was just there like, yep, got to make that point. So I want to encourage the church, really, to devote ourselves to, to this idea of establishing a rhythm to our year and putting God at the center of it, making, right, fellowship, prayer, praise, and feast a key part of it. Now, the second thing, and this one challenged me this week, is rest. Because if you look in Leviticus 23, I'm not going to turn to it. I'll trust you to look it up later. But before God establishes the feasts and the festivals, he actually restates the importance of Sabbath, of rest. 
And then when you read through the feasts and festivals, time and again they include Sabbaths and even what in the Hebrew they translate sometimes as super Sabbaths. <laughs> Not just a time of rest, but ultra rest. We really mean have a break. Now our world, it doesn't do rest. We treat rest as though it's an optional extra, something to tick in at the end of the day when we're exhausted and we're burnt out, and the day has been done and we've gotten work finished off, and I need a break. I'm shattered. When we look to the Bible, it's a completely different pattern. Do you know the first thing God commanded Adam and Eve to do when he created them? Have a day off. That was the beginning of human life, was rest. We were created to rest and then work, not work and then collapse in exhaustion. We live in a society that is obsessed with productivity. And rest is the last thing we think of because it's just a waste of time. No. Rest is essential. If you don't rest, you won't make the most of the rest of your time because you'll be burnt out. And as I prepared this, I've looked at my own life and I've realized again, it is so easy to get caught up in your work so that you do not stop. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that. As I've been praying about the church, one of the words that's kept coming to mind is that so many people at the moment just feel very, very tired because we are working so hard. And we feel the pressures of the day-to-day -day on us. And it feels as though, but if I stop to rest, how will this get done? How will that get done? How will the other get done? And I understand that. I feel that too. So this isn't me coming along saying, don't do that. It's, yeah, I need to learn. I need to learn the importance of rest again. And that's a word that I believe God has been bringing before our church for the last few years. We've been talking about rest and Sabbath since before the pandemic. And I think the reason it keeps coming up is because this is something that the world just sucks out of us. It's not that we need to, it's not that we forget it. It's just that the busyness of life comes crashing in and distracts us. And next thing we know, we haven't rested for weeks. We haven't rested for weeks. And our society, it looks at that kind of conduct and it says, that is good. It encourages you and says, wow, what a work ethic. You never hear our society say, wow, what a rest ethic. But actually, rest matters. And when it comes to the question of how will it get done, the challenge God brought before me was looking again, and I've said this before in an earlier sermon on the subject of Sabbath, so this is not new. But he reminded me of how the Israelites, when they were in the promised land, on the day before the Sabbath, they would collect two days' worth of manna. And here's the thing. Manna went off after one day. That was the norm. So on that Saturday, on that Friday, sorry, um, the Israelites would be gathering two days' worth. And they were essentially making a statement of faith that, God, you are going to sustain me for an extra day, that it is going to happen, that somehow, miraculously, this food that has a one-day shelf life will have two days. 
It was about faith, about trusting God. Rest is a statement of faith. And when we look at our situations and our lives and we say, how can I rest? God says, do you trust me? Come on, I want you to rest. I want you to take a break. I want you to recharge your batteries. I want you to stop. Stop being productive and stop striving. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And I will step in. Trust me. Now that's a challenge. For those of us with an utter work ethic, that's a massive challenge. But it's integral to the feast. So many of the feasts were all about setting aside this time to rest. Rest is not an optional extra. It's not an add-on. It's a core part of our lives. And we need to rest. Massive challenge, I know. Now, when you look at the feasts, they all served different purposes. And rather than go through them individually, I'm going to give you a sort of whistle-stop tour of some of those underlying purposes. Then, if you in your own time go to Leviticus 23, you can have a look through, and you can see how these themes fit in. The first theme is remembrance. So the feasts were opportunities to look back, to remember what God has done. The Israelites would, particularly with, say, the Passover, they would come together and they would say, God, you are our creator, you are our deliverer. You have redeemed us, you've saved us from slavery. Look at what you've done. Tremendous opportunities to remember. There were times of worship, particularly for God's provision, so they would offer, uh, they would make offerings to God that represented the harvest. They would give the first fruits to him and say, right, God, I'm celebrating the fact that you have provided and I am offering a sacrifice of praise to you now. There were times of presence. So the Israelites would gather together at the tabernacle, at the temple, and they would celebrate the fact that God is with us, as Sue talked so much about recently. And I really do recommend having a listen to that. But there were moments where Israel recognized God is with us. He is here. They would expect the presence of God. Another aspect, though, that I think is often missed, that was a bit of a light bulb moment to me, these were also moments of prophecy. You see, God ordained the feasts and the festivals while the Israelites were still in the wilderness. They were to be instituted in the promised land. So when God said, here are the patterns and rhythms and routines I am setting out for you in the land I will give you. They were forward-looking as well as looking to the past. They didn't just celebrate what God had done. They said, here is what God will do. He will give you the land. And when he has done this, here is how you are to live. Here is how you are to dedicate your time to God. Because that's really what these feasts and festivals are going through here. They're about dedicating time to him. 
the part of a section of Leviticus that talks about holiness, what it is to live a holy life, what it is to set things apart for God, to set your life apart for God. And here they say, here is how to set your time apart for him. So you've got all these different aspects going on. And here's the really interesting thing. As I looked at these patterns, these underlying principles, I realized they continued in the New Testament. You see, the New Testament church became known as the people of the meal. That honestly was one of the nicknames that early Christians had. The people of the meal. Because the Christians would gather together for a feast. And every time, every time they met, they would take communion, as we call it. They would break bread. They would drink wine. Why? Because Jesus had told them to do that. And look at the pattern of communion. Like all those feasts, it looks back to what God has done. Creator, Redeemer. The one who has spared no expense to bring us into his presence has said, look, you are mine. I have bought you out of slavery from sin. I have adopted you as my own at an incredible price. So communion, like those feasts, is a moment of remembrance. It's a moment of worship as we celebrate the creator, redeemer, and provider. Because he was not spared his own son for us, will he also not freely give us all things? So it's a moment of worship. It's a moment of presence because we are celebrating that now we are the body of Christ, united with him by faith. And it's a moment of prophecy because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until, until I come. So when we break bread, when we drink the wine together, we're doing it in anticipation of the day when all God's promises will be fulfilled. We are looking forward to the fact that this world is not the end, that history does not end in tragedy, but in triumph. Because one day, the God who has made our lives new already will make all things new. All things. One day, one day, let it be soon. Amen. One day, all pain, all sorrow, all war, all suffering, all poverty, all injustice, all that is evil and dark and tragic and painful in this world, one day all that will end. And we know that because we are the first fruits of that, because our lives have been made new by the power of God. And so we are the foretaste of that one day. That's why Revelation ends with even so, come Lord Jesus, let that day be soon. When you turn on the news, let that day be soon. That's what communion is about. Isn't it massive? It's so much bigger than you think. It encompasses all the themes and ideas that are woven into the feasts in the Old Testament. Now today, today, 
We're here together as a church at the end of a 24-7 period of prayer and some of us have been fasting and we're here for a feast. We're here for a celebration. We're here to celebrate what God has done. We're here to celebrate that he has heard our prayers over these last few hours. That he has heard us. That we haven't just been bouncing words off ceilings. But that ours is a God who listens, who hears, and who acts. We're here to celebrate. We're here to remember. We're here to worship our God who is with us. And we're here to look forward in anticipation. Because the best is yet to come. So today... I want to challenge us as a church. Let's just spend these next bit of time in worship. I loved actually, Liz asked me, when do you want to do the sermon? And my reaction was, up to you, whatever. And to be honest, I'm really glad that you said do it now, Liz. Because I'd invite us as a church now. Let's just have a time of worship together. Let's revel in the presence of God. And then let's have some fellowship together, celebrating the community that God has made us part of worshipping him and looking forward to the even better that's yet to come. May God bless this word to our hearts.